Hi, thanks for joining us here at AnimalCafe.co. Each Monday, you'll find a new interview with experts and enthusiasts working to better the lives of animals. On Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, we meet in the Chat Cafe, where you can ask questions and have a conversation with our guest. Check our website, AnimalCafe.co, for guest and host profiles. Hope to see you there. Hello, and welcome to the Cafe. I'm your host this week, Eric Obelbecker. This week, I spoke to Dr. Riza Van Fleet who is going to tell you all about her pet play therapy program. Okay, so go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Okay, this is uh, Risa Van Fleet. I'm a child and family psychologist and also a play therapist working with kids and families. And I'm a certified dog behavior consultant. And I get involved a lot with um, involving dogs in play therapy with kids. Um, So... So I, I saw that you are offering some courses over um, the summer, I think it was, for people interested in play therapy? Yeah, actually, I, I mean, I do a lot of trainings in play therapy, but the, I probably the most relevant to our discussion tonight is the animal-assisted play therapy and, uh, and canine-assisted play therapy, and I do train mental health professionals and canine professionals and dog trainers and anyone that's kind of interested in working with children where uh, so they come and, and uh, attend. It's usually a four-day training uh, where we learn a lot of things about dogs and a lot of things about children and how to put the two together. <laughs> and, and what are some situations where um, canines, where dogs would get involved in play therapy? What sort of, what sort of um, I don't know how to put it, I don't know if you want to get specific examples or just the type of situation where somebody might call for using a dog as opposed to just, I guess, dog free play. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. Um, well, really, the dogs can be part, I mean, we use, first of all, I should maybe explain that play therapy is where we use play as a way of communicating with children. Because kids, until they hit 12 or 13, and even after that for a while, they, they actually can reveal a lot more about what's going on in their minds and their feelings through their play than they can through just talking. We have all had that experience where we ask kids how their day was in school, and they go, they kind of shrug their shoulders and say it was okay. But when we ask and invite them to play in certain ways, then it allows them to really communicate. It's safer for them emotionally, and they they uh, can communicate a lot through their play. And with the, so in therapy work, in mental health work, we actually um, capitalize on that and use the play as a way of, of communicating and working through problems and that kind of thing. So what the dogs do um, is sometimes, especially children who are kind of wary of adults, perhaps they have a background where they've been abused or neglected or perhaps they're in foster care or have been adopted, and they just had some experiences in life where they don't trust adult humans very well. The dog can be kind of a, a tool to kind of help them feel more more comfortable. Um, sometimes kids who have histories of hurting animals, uh, the best way or the best way that I know of helping them kind of overcome that problem because that's a pretty serious problem is to help them learn how to be safe around animals. About uh, So we teach them about canine safety, but also how to create a relationship with the dog. And so we're helping them kind of develop their empathy and caring and nurturing abilities at the same time that they learn how to protect themselves and keep themselves safe. 
sometimes kids with anxiety, sometimes kids with anger problems, sometimes just kids with behavior problems. The dog, the dog's presence can both be relaxing for them. It can add an element of fun and excitement, and we can kind of use their interactions with the dog as sort of a metaphor for life kind of thing. So a lot of things happen with the dogs that um, happen in life, too, and we just kind of can help the kids learn some things in a way that, that they uh, are pretty open to it. And what kind of play are you um, using? It would just be as... as maybe with some toys inside, you know, inside a room, or would you actually maybe get outside and, and use something like fetch or agility equipment or something like that? We do some of both. Um, a lot of times we start indoors, and actually before the kids even meet the dogs, we teach them how to properly meet and greet a dog, and I think you've had some conversations with other people about that. And then they meet the dog, and then uh, sometimes we use a type of play, and it's indoors in a playroom, a therapeutic playroom, where the kids get to pick kind of what they play and how they play with it, and the therapist responds in a particular way to that to kind of help the child make progress with whatever problem they have. And the dog it plays a role. So, for example, I had one child who felt very unsafe in the world, decided that my dog should be uh, his his police dog who <laughs> was going to protect him. And so he, he was able to involve the dog kind of in his own way. Other times we will teach the kids some basic tra dog training tools, and then they can teach dogs new tricks. Um, they can build their own sense of confidence and competence in a new area uh, with the dogs. And certainly where we can, you know, if we have a private area outdoors, which we do where I work, uh, we can take the kids outside and they can, you know, manage, you know, help the dog learn any variety of things, but like uh, we call it fake agility because we don't do real agility, <laughs> but right. something close to it. But the kids have some problems to solve, like how do I, how am I going to teach this dog this new behavior? So we we give them some basic ability to do that, teach them some basics, and then we kind of allow the kids to kind of find their own way sometimes to teach the dog some new things with a little bit of coaching from us. But it's a really great way to kind of stimulate kids' abilities to solve problems for themselves. And uh, we actually, there's some research that shows that kids who are good at problem solving actually get into a lot less trouble than kids who aren't. <laughs> right. Well, that makes a lot of sense, too. So it's, it's, it's really, like you said, both types. In some cases, it might be more role-playing, and there might be even be some like anthropomorphic role-play there. Mm -hmm. But it also might be getting up, getting outside, moving around a bit, and just getting the kids to kind of relax that way. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, you're right. It's sort of anthropomorphic in the sense, I mean, sometimes that's been a bad word, but from a therapy point of view, it's not so much because we can kind of, a lot of times the kids might project some of their own problems or feelings onto the dog, but then they're able to talk about it better. Or sometimes we also have situations where maybe we can use something that happened. I, I always stay honest with children. For, for example, I worked not too long ago with a, a young boy who had stolen some money out of his mother's purse. And of course, we dealt with that in a variety of ways, and his mother dealt with it, his family dealt with it. But it just so happened that the day before he came in to work with my dog, whose name is Kiri, um, she had actually taken a loaf of bread off of the kitchen counter, taken it into her crate where I found all this 
paper, this plastic shredded up. And so I was able to kind of use Curie's problem in a way that he could talk about it. So I kind of said, oh, Curie really wanted that, and she didn't even think to ask first, and she just took it into her crate. And, you know, we don't want her to get into trouble. What can we do to help her next time when she wants something? And so he was able to kind of think it through better because it was the dog and it didn't feel like he was in I mean he had some consequences at home but it actually helped him start to think through for himself what maybe he should be doing differently um, but yeah the other thing that we do quite a bit of is empathy and relationship development and what that entails sometimes is as we're interacting with the dogs and we're usually doing playful things but the dogs have different reactions and we do teach kids about canine communication signals and stress signals so sometimes we'll just stop and say how do you think Curie's feeling about that right now because maybe they're doing something with the dog that the dog's feeling a little stressed about um, and most of the time they get pretty good at being able to say oh she doesn't like that and then they change their behavior voluntarily which is uh, is a good first step. Other times they might do something that is going to be potentially harmful for the dog and then that's when we set a limit. So I had one child once who tr got frustrated because Curie didn't immediately do what he wanted and he kind of said, um, he started to kick her. So I immediately stepped in before he did that and I could say, you know, one of the things you cannot do in here is kick or hit Curie. Um, and eventually I had to end the session because he couldn't control himself. But the next time he came, he was much more in control of himself and he was able to um, to go on and have a really nice relationship with the dog. But he had to learn some impulse control and the limits helped him do that. That's really great. Yeah, sounds like here he needs to do some more counter surfing. It comes in handy. <laughs> yeah. Well, she she has enough uh, little things that she gets into that I can usually uh, maybe exaggerate a little bit, but I do try to stick to the truth, but sometimes <laughs> embellish it in a therapeutic of kind of way. <laughs> of course, of course. But I, I bet you went home that night and gave her a slice of bread anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's very cool that, that you, you know, of course, of course, I'm going to I'm going to lock on to the using training because you know that that's my thing. But uh, using training as a game and using training as a way to teach the human. I mean that that's that is what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And uh, and of course the you you, see, you you talked about anthropomorphism I, for for many years. That was such a dirty word, but it seems to be almost becoming back into fashion. You know, to yeah. how close <laughs> they are to us. <clears throat> and there's been another bigger, not bigger, but uh. Another trend in training called empowerment training where they're using a lot of things like capturing and shaping to train the dogs mm -hmm. instead of so much luring and, of course, the old you know, molding and forcing the dog into position stuff. And it almost sounds like the same thing with, with the children where mm -hmm. the dogs are a way for the kids to find their own way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really true. And part of it is especially because a lot of the kids that I work with um, as well as some of the other therapists that I train to use this method, um, they do need some help with impulse control, you know, they're developing some patience. And so the whole idea of capturing and kind of waiting for the dog to take the next step and then kind of rewarding the dog at that moment and kind of waiting for the next step is actually what it does is it, it can be helping the dog learn something new, but it also is helping the kids learn some patience and that patience and persistence pays off. Um, and so I think in that way it, it can be really helpful. So, you know, like some of the things I do is I'll pre-train the dog because 
for example, to turn a light on and off to work with a child who's afraid of the dark. But uh, other times I do a lot. I'm doing, I'm finding myself moving in that direction a lot more too. Of I like letting the dogs think for themselves and figure some things out for themselves. And that's a perfect metaphor for the kids too. Yep. Yep. I, I, actually, I spent the weekend at a nose work seminar. And it's one of the things I like about nose work is, a lot of it is, is, is just showing the dog how to use his, his or her nose and find things on their own. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm continually amazed at how I'm doing so much less and enjoying it even more. <laughs> well, maybe yeah. I should find that so amazing because I'm doing so much less. But Yeah, uh, but I think that's part of, um, I mean, I just finished writing an article about control, human control needs, and I think sometimes what happens is we do try to over-control um, you know, kids, our dogs, I mean, they they need to have some basic control and some good behaviors and manners and that kind of thing. But I think ultimately we do need to kind of back off a little bit. And, and maybe it's easier, but in a way it's harder because sometimes we're so used to getting in there and saying, let's do this and let's do that. Right, <laughs> and right. uh, it's very satisfying, though, to be able to step back and see what happens when you kind of allow their own talents and their abilities to kind of emerge. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I think that's why um, yeah, a lot of people, technical people, technology people are attracted to training. And I think that the, one of the things we have to overcome is that we are used to waiting in there, getting our hands dirty and, and moving stuff around. Mm-hmm. And so much of the, the skillful training is just to, to know when to stop and give the dog a chance. I, th- I really agree. And, you know, you, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but there's huge parallels between the way we work with kids and bring up our kids and the way we work with dogs. And so, like, I started off my life in working with children pretty much as a behaviorist. You know, we would work on their outward behaviors and find what's rewarding and what's not and and deal with all that. But I found it a little bit unsatisfying. I mean, it worked, but it only worked up to a point because underneath these behaviors are all these emotions. (laughs) And sometimes you can fix a behavior, but then it pops up in another place because the emotional underpinning the kind of the root cause of the problem wasn't being addressed and so that's how I actually ended up moving more into play therapy and while I still appreciate behaviorism and of course for dogs absolutely for the training as well it really is very important to know it and understand it and know how to apply it but it's not the whole picture I mean dogs are more complex than that and uh well even even Bob Bailey who seemed to enjoy making fun of us dog trainers at the conference, said that uh, Pavlov is always <laughs> on your shoulder. He said what? He, Pavlov is always sit, sitting on one shoulder. There's always yeah. a thing <laughs> coming back there, you know. Yeah. And, and, and he loves to talk about, you know, and, and, uh, controlling the environment and, and creating those, those rewarding situations for the dog. But it once a while, those messy emotions get in the way. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess it must be really, really that way with children, too. Yeah, I think that absolutely is. And I think it's probably because the emotional part of dogs' brains is very much like the emotional part of human brains. Um, I mean, there's some similar, there's some differences, but there's a lot more similarities. And I think that what's nice about that is that um, it's about taking that into account and allowing, you know, allowing, there's other ways of kind of accessing that. Sometimes it's through play, sometimes it's through, you know, a lot of different types of stimuli, and it doesn't always have to be just the kind of the operant approach to things. Right, right, right. To be too much of a technician sometimes. 
so for people that are interested in this, um, what would be the what 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 would they be able to do? Is there a, a path to getting a dog um, certified for this, or any, anything similar to like what Delta and TDI offer? Well, I'm working on a credentialing process. I mean, right now a lot of people who are like mental health professionals who are involved in animal-assisted play therapy are. Um, and there's another whole component to it that we won't talk about today, but is the a horse component and other animals can be, you know, applicable for this as well. But certainly a lot of people have the Delta Society or TDI types of credentials. But I found that with what we're trying to do is quite different than typical than what is typically done with therapy dogs. So we're not just having the dogs coming in and being quiet and petting them. It's actually kind of good to have the dog have some real-time minor, I mean, we want the dog to be safe, but to have some minor little problems that then we can have the kids solve because it makes it real. And then if the child can help the dog solve that, again, with our help along the way if needed, then they can really truly feel a sense of accomplishment in the process. So we're actually looking for um, some different characteristics in the dogs, but we're also looking for some very different characteristics, I think, than are typically tested for in the handlers. So I'm in the process of working on a credential uh, that will have multiple facets to it, but not only will it take a look at the dog's behavior and suitability, how well the dog can control itself, but also how well does the handler read what's going on in the moment because um, personally I found it incredibly important to be able to understand canine signals. I'm still working on getting better at catching them in the moment and noticing them when they're happening. But I think you can have the best trained dog in the world, but if you don't really know how to read the dog and and what the dog is telling us about how it is feeling, then uh, we might be, you know, setting up a situation that's not so good. And uh, part of my theory behind this approach is that not only do I want the kids to enjoy it because there's, there's therapy to be had in enjoyment, but also I want the dogs to have a good time doing it. So if a dog's starting to look stressed, um, I don't want the dog doing something it doesn't want to do itself. And so that's where the play comes in for the dogs too, but also for the handlers to be able to be able to read the dog. And then the other component of it is, of course, how do we apply what we're doing with the dog to actual the therapeutic goals and how do we kind of work it and facilitate it when it's happening so that the child has the best outcomes. Yeah, that's what I find. I, I find really, really, um, I don't want to say puzzling, but but um, interesting is how you set up a situation, you know, based on what you need to accomplish with the child, what, what do you, how are you going to use play to make that happen. I, mean, I could see that being a lifetime vocation, I, I guess it is. Yeah, <laughs> you, you never quite get there because there's always a session that you come back, pack, you know, to your office or whatever afterwards. You think, hmm, could I have handled that better? But I think that is part of our training and part of the years we've spent, you know, going through school and getting supervision and and all and the just experience that how do you take a situation when it's happening and always be thinking about what the child's needs are, but also the dog's needs, but then always tying it back somehow. And then other times we will be a little bit more active in determining what happens um, and and kind of, for example, like the fear of the dark thing can be, you know, most trainers know about desensitization. A lot of what we do with the kids is I, I put them in charge. The dog knows how to turn a, a like a closet light off and on. 
And then we put the kids in charge of the lights in the room and giving the dog the cue to turn the light on and off. And so the child can start with all the lights blaring, (laughs) and we turn it into a game so it doesn't feel scary. And then the kids can gradually dim the lights in the room while they're telling Carrie to on light or off light. She just knows when she hears light, she hits the light. (laughs) And um, the kids can have some control of that. So we're actually kind of applying something that we really plan out in advance to help the kids kind of overcome their their fears in in that way. So there's there's a lot to it, but that that is part of the becoming a play therapist. And then it's having the flexibility to watch the dog, watch the child, and then keep keep the play therapy you know rolling along. Because other we're not just playing with kids and dogs. We're we're doing it for a purpose. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, that that's that's so that that's basically the the most sneaky example of systematic desensitization I've ever heard of. <laughs> Yeah, it works really well. And then at the end, usually where I've done that, the dog gives the child one of the uh, closet lights to take home and practice on their own. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so you're using those those push lights, the uh, yeah, the, the Billy Mays like closet lights. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's, that's so cool. And it's such an easy thing to teach a dog, just using some basic, you know, plot targeting. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> you do the Staples Easy Button thing. Yeah, that's really cool. Caffeine could even do that. Huh. <laughs> I was gonna say if you if you need those with behavior problems, have, have I got a dog for you? <laughs> well, I probably have enough of my own to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it's but it is kind of interesting how you can capitalize on because dogs have some of the same problems that people do, and then we just kind of build the story around that. Like my the main dog I use for therapy work, I use. I have five dogs, and I, all of them have participated now, now and then, but the main therapy dog is a dog that was adopted from rescue. She was originally in a shelter. And uh, so with foster kids, it's a great story to parallel their own, and, and we can yeah. really talk about, why, can you believe somebody didn't want Kiri? And, you know, it kind of it parallels their own maybe thoughts that they don't say, but they might be thinking. And so there's there's so many different applications for this. It's really quite exciting. Right. Speaking of behavior problems, you can hear it right now. <laughs> the house just exploded. Um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that when I when I when I thought we talked about Delta and TDI. You know, a big thing for Delta is you actually want a dog that's sort of laid back and laconic. You know, Buddha, mm-hmm. my other dog, you know, breezed through Delta certification because he just as soon lay there. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas you pro- you want a dog that that that's more of that candidate for 101 things to do with a box that's always trying things exactly. Interesting. But at the same yeah. time, you don't want them trying things with their mouth. So, right. But that, that's yeah. I mean, we have to make sure that they get tr- the proper training prior to working with kids in terms of, for example, I might use rope tug, but I use a really long rope with a knot in the middle. And the rule is the dog's mouth and the child's hand have to be on opposite sides. My dog is trained 99.9% reliable that when we say release, she drops the rope. Right. And so that's all done before they ever play. And then, then I can put the children in charge and say, when you're playing rope tug, and they all love this game, uh, I teach them how to do it with the head side to side, not up and down. And But the rule is if the dog's mouth is getting on the same, you know, heading to the same side of the knot as, as your hand is, you have two choices. One is you can tell Carrie release, and I teach them how to use a kind of a deeper voice to kind of get her to do that. Or you can let Carrie win once in a while 
so that she can um, so she can win and keep the game going. And that's of course dogs do that with each other, but also it's helping kids learn to share when and take turns when they might have difficulties with that. <laughs> oh, so resource guarding in kids, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right, I mean, I, there's some adults that need to learn that. Though. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 I, got, I actually was going to ask about that. I, I was not sure if you'd do it because I know so many people are afraid of it. Yeah, well, it's all, you know, it's carefully controlled in a way that it's right. going to be safe, but it's actually a great, it's basically what we're doing is helping kids manage their own arousal and the right. dog's arousal. Yeah, no, and that's so, not, yeah, the more I think about it, that's, that's right, because I mean, I, Week one basic, I give that speech. The dog has rules. It's good for teaching the kids, the dogs, how to control their arousal. Mm-hmm. Here again, there's another similarity between children and dogs. Yeah, exactly. All right, fantastic. So um, we're going to have the chat on Wednesday night at 9 p.m. You will be there for that. I absolutely will. I'll look forward fantastic. to it. All right, uh, fantastic. I really appreciate you um, you taking the time to do this, and I look forward to the chat on Wednesday. Okay, well, that sounds that sounds great. I really appreciate the opportunity, Eric, and good luck with the doctor and uh, house buying and all of that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Take care. Bye. And that's the interview, folks. I really hope you'll join us Wednesday night for the chat. The link is up on the website, animalcafe.co. That's a .co, not a .com. We'll be there Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, and Dr. Van Fleet will be there to talk to us. See you then. Goodbye. Garcon, could you freshen up this coffee, please? Thank you.